Welcome to the Summit for Wellness podcast, where we help you climb to the peak of your health. And now, here is your host, Brian Carroll. Hello and welcome to episode 46 of the Summit for Wellness podcast. I'm your host, Brian Carroll, and today's episode is brought to you by Hana One, which is an Ayurvedic herbal blend that helps to support the immune system as well as helping the body to adapt to different stressors, which goes right into what we will be talking about later in this episode when we start talking about heart disease. So if you want to learn more about HANA1, then go to summitforwellness.com slash H-A-N-A-H. Okay, if you listened to the end of our last episode, then you know that our guest today is the paleocardiologist. He is one of very few cardiologists out there that look at the root cause of heart disease instead of spending all their time throwing satins and other medications at the heart problems. So he tries to find what is causing the heart issues, and then works with his patients to support those issues so that they do not have heart disease anymore. So our guest is Dr. Jack Wolfson, and let's get right into the interview. Dr. Jack Wolfson is a board-certified cardiologist who uses nutrition and supplements to prevent and treat disease. He is the author of the Amazon bestseller, The Paleocardiologist, and he also founded thedoctorswolfson.com in 2012 to offer people the ultimate in holistic heart care and a different path than the standard cardiology pills and procedures. Thanks for coming on to the show, Dr. Jack. Uh, Brian, it's an absolute pleasure to speak with you today. Excited to share some great information with your listeners. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on because it's not often that you find a cardiologist who thinks beyond just uh, the typical cardiology pills and procedures. So uh, with that, I would love to first find out what got you interested in cardiology in the first place. Well, my father was a cardiologist and he was a very successful cardiologist. He was the first DO at the Cleveland Clinic in 1970 where I was born and then he was uh, did his cardiology training at University of Iowa which is very prestigious and just growing up and watching all of him and his buddies and talking about heart health it was just like a natural thing for me to want to go into. I really uh, loved my father. Uh, he was my hero and I started moving towards holistic cardiology as I saw him get sick and nobody had any good answers for why he developed a Parkinson's-like illness. And my future wife is a doctor of chiropractic and she opened up my eyes to real health and wellness and what was going on with my father. Uh, but uh, at that point, I was already a successful in my own right, but then uh, bringing in the holistic nature of it was, was after that. And it's been an incredible uh, trip ever since. So did your father practice just traditional cardiology or did he ever look more into the holistic side as well? No, he, and it's kind of sad actually, Brian, because I think about this often that I wish my father would have known all this stuff. I wish he would have seen things from this angle because he was a very, you know, bright man and I think he would have picked up on it, you know, clearly. But, you know, back when he started, it was really the early days of cardiology 
and the the diagnosis of things like valvular heart disease, you know, leaky valves, tight valves, uh, new things about sending people to surgery and new kind of tools and testing equipment they had. So he was well published in the in the conventional cardiology literature. But I think about that often that if he were alive today, how he would receive the stuff I'm doing. And I think I think he would have really, really gravitated towards it. So how was that transition for you to transition into more of a holistic cardiology type of uh, program for yourself by jumping off ship of the traditional practices and start looking at uh, the root causes? Well, I think there's a, a lot of things that were you know somewhat difficult, but it was really gratifying for me to know that you know, my patients really didn't need the pills. They didn't need the procedures. There was a better way to prevent and treat disease. And that's the stuff that I started talking about. Well, you know, you start talking about that, then your partners start getting upset because they don't believe in that way. That way of thinking disrupts the money train that cardiology is. And when you start disrupting the the revenue stream of the practice, a lot of people start getting upset. So, I encountered a lot of problems with my old partners, with my old group. So when I left that group in 2012, nobody was upset to see me go. Uh, they were more than happy to keep all of my partnership uh, money amongst themselves. And, uh, you know, once again, nobody's uh, really called me since and said, hey, I think you're doing a great thing. Now, that being said, I've made a lot of new friends along the way. I've made some enemies, but I made a lot of uh, friends, a lot of people who get it. And my only regret, Brian, is that I didn't leave that big practice five years earlier. Hey, it takes it takes moments like that for you to real really realize why you needed to leave in the first place. So you were there for a reason. Now let's let's talk a little bit about uh, traditional cardiology uh, because a lot of times they provide uh, pills for people and then they tell them to go on uh, low fat diets because they believe that high fat is uh, dangerous to people's health and that it's the fat that's causing all these heart issues. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, most certainly. Listen, the average cardiologist uh, does not get any training in nutrition just kind of taught the, uh, the the company line, if you will, that you know it's low fat is the way to go. And obviously that's just a fallacy that started in the 1960s and it's just carried on. And of course, big agriculture and big food was involved in that message because they were able to package up their, their cheap junk uh, and sell it to the American public that was more than happy to eat all those starchy carbs and all those sugars that have led to an explosion of obesity and diabetes. And the reality to me is that there's a lot of different diets that are out there, right? There's people that talk about vegan and there's people that talk about keto and there's people that talk about South Beach or they talk about whatever, you know, diet it may be. Why not just follow the wisdom of our ancestors? Eat the foods that our ancestors did for millions of years and that's going to lead to the best heart health. And that's why I wrote The Paleo Cardiologist was to tell people, hey, listen, live like our paleo ancestors, eat like our paleo ancestors. Yeah, you got to bring it into the modern world. But, you know, eat tons of vegetables. We can all agree on that. Try and eat at least two-thirds of them raw. And then eat free-range grass-fed meats, eat wild seafood and nuts and seeds and avocados and eggs and olives and coconut. All that stuff is tremendous. But, you know, when you vilify fat and you go low-fat, you're really starving the body of a critical nutrient. I mean, everyone knows and every study says nuts and seeds are healthy. Well, they're loaded with fat. Everybody knows avocados are healthy. They're loaded with fat. 
And, you know, the Mediterranean diet is the most studied diet in the world and it's very successful and it's one of the blue zones and people live there a long time. And those people are sucking down olive oil, which of course is fat by definition. They're sucking it down, you know, like uh, most people drink uh, Coca-Cola. So I don't think in any way, shape or form fat is the problem. There's very little evidence that people, you know, that uh, fat is dangerous, especially when you follow the wisdom of nature and frankly there's tons of literature on paleo keto would be somewhat similar and i think that's the way to go don't deprive your body of fat you're going to burn out quickly and and the history is full of vegans that just couldn't tolerate veganism and when you were describing some of the foods in there you were talking about higher quality foods like grass-fed or pasture-raised which is a lot different than just the typical type of fats that you can find um, in the stores is that correct yeah, most certainly. So this is not uh, Dr. Jack Wolfson saying, hey, go to your favorite fast food place and get a double burger, hold the bun. I'm not saying that. So the only foods that we eat are free-range, grass-fed, pasture-raised, healthy animals. And how much you know of your diet you want to go from there You know, on the meat side is up to you. Obviously, the, the Eskimos eat a lot of meat. Lions and tigers eat a lot of meat. In fact, all animals either eat other animals or they eat a lot of insects. Yeah, you know, not to continue with vegan bashing here, but the vegan is the only uh, species in the history of Earth that you know doesn't either consume animals or insects. And you know, finally, society in the history of the world has been a meat and/or seafood eater. So I love me some wild seafood, sardine, anchovy, wild salmon, and you know, free-range grass-fed meats, and then also the organ meats: uh, liver, kidney, thyroid, heart thymus, adrenal, those are really the foods that our ancestors would have prized. And in modern society, even the best paleo eaters are missing out on those glands. So go ahead and eat some healthy glandular foods. So it's fascinating when you look at animals, a lot of times they'll go straight for the organ meats. And here we are, we always go after the muscle and the tissues of animals instead. Why is the organ so important to eat? Well, the organs, and you know, obviously, you know, nature knows best. And in wild, you know, societies or in paleo societies, of course, the animals are, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, paleo peoples that are still around today will go after the organs first. The organs are just packed with so much. You know, take the heart for example; it's loaded with CoQ10. Uh, take the liver; it's loaded with B vitamins. Take adrenal uh, and and the other glands; they're loaded with the actual hormones themselves and those hormones feed our home hormones in a condition of mimicry we're not quite sure how it's done but the evidence is there that when you eat those glandular foods you reap just tremendous benefits muscle meat has value to it it is uh, certain it's high in certain uh, fats that are high quality it's high in certain nutrients but nothing's packed like the organs the organs is just you know the activity i mean if you think about muscle on an anatomical level it's really just muscle tissue uh, and it contains nutrients for muscle to function but if you're eating heart it contains all the nutrients for the heart to function and that's clearly a lot more complex than than muscle tissue so a lot of people out there that have been sucked into the whole low-fat train, they they believe that cholesterol is a huge part to heart disease. They're told that cholesterol is what causes heart disease, therefore stay away from foods that are high in cholesterol. Can you talk about uh, the role of cholesterol in the body and is cholesterol really coming from the diet? 
Well, cholesterol is uh, very important. Cholesterol in the diet is not a problem. I talk about this in my book, and cholesterol is so important that I made a chapter one in my book called The Truth About Cholesterol, and I've done a lot of lectures and speaking on this to, to the public and to the medical doctors alike. You know, cholesterol is a molecule made by the body for a reason. All animals make cholesterol. Cholesterol is inside of an egg for a reason because that's how a baby chicken comes to life by the cholesterol in the yolk. So cholesterol forms things like vitamin D, forms our sex hormones, forms the cell membrane, forms the digestive process as bile acids that turn into bile salts, help us digest our food. So cholesterol is extremely, extremely important. And we want to make sure that our body is given the tools to make this life-giving nutrient. And we do that by eating animal foods. So animal foods that contain all the building blocks for cholesterol to be formed, that's really going to be key. Now, where things can get kind of a little haywire, where more cholesterol is made than necessary and more LDL particles are made than necessary, is when the body is inflamed, the body is irritated. And part of the response of the body to deal with inflammation and irritation is to increase cholesterol and LDL production. So the problem is not those molecules in and of themselves, it's whatever is driving their overproduction. And then finally, Brian, what I tell people is everybody's different. We want to find the perfect cholesterol and LDL level for you, which is different from your best friend, which is different from the guy down the street. Everybody's different. Follow the right lifestyle and eat the right foods, you'll find the perfect level for you. And that's a really good point to dive into because a lot of cardiologists will throw statins to try and reduce these cholesterol numbers, but how can we figure out what the right number is for someone? Well, I mean, essentially, it's, you know, by, by living the right lifestyle, that's how we find the right number for, for you. And it's really hard to know exactly where it is, but, you know, we, we can really look at uh, levels of total cholesterol, for, for example, which is a poor indicator, but I, you know that sweet spot of total cholesterol tends to be between 160 and 260. I think for most people, if you check things like LDL particle number, that the particle number should be below 1500. Uh, you look at the ratio of what's called ApoB to ApoA. That's the single most important factor when it comes to lipid markers. And you want the B to A ratio to be as low as possible. So what that means you're not producing a lot of ApoBs, which are found on things like LDLs, VLDLs, IDLs. And you want to have a lot of ApoA, which is the stitching on the... HDL baseball, if you will, and you want to have a lot of those. That's really the key. So is there some good uh, ratios between HDL and LDL that you want to be looking for? Uh, well, you know, essentially, you know, once again, the, the best marker is really that ApoB, ApoA, which, which is similar to LDL particles to HDL particles. So, you know, once again, that ratio, uh, you know, typically if that's below 0 0.6, that's a pretty good place to be because those ApoAs are the functional HDLs. And as much as we vilify LDL, there's good LDLs because the body makes them for a reason. And then those good LDLs can become bad LDLs as they circulate around longer. So we can measure those. But just the same is make sure we've got a lot of functional HDLs. And the best marker we have that's available to the mass uh, population to test 
the functionality of the HDL is the ApoA lipoprotein. That's the best way we can test as of right now. There's, there's some other uh, testing that, that can be done in research situations like cholesterol efflux capacity or LCAT levels or PON1 levels, peroxinase 1 levels. I mean, so there's a lot of ways we can get pretty exotic about it. And I think over the next few years, the testing companies are going to release that information and it'll just add to the armamentarium of a doctor like me, yet the average cardiologist Brian doesn't even care what your cholesterol levels are. They just want you on statin drugs. And that plan is a surefire failure. Is there a reason why they want to put you on statins so bad? Well, I think, you know, once again, it's the only training they have, which is pretty sad. Think about I went to four years of medical school, three years of internal medicine, three years of cardiology, and I come out and all I can do to help a person is to put them on, you know, maximum dose statin drugs. <clears throat> so, um, it, it's really sad for them, and they don't really have much of an alternative. And I kind of kid that, you know, my office consultations are initially, the, you know, the initial visit is an hour and 15 minutes long, whereas a conventional cardiologist is around 10 minutes. But what else does the cardiologist have to do in that 10 minutes? Why sit there like where you're both twiddling your thumbs when the only thing they're going to recommend is a stress test and blood pressure drugs and an aspirin and statin drugs. You don't need more than, like I just said it in 15 seconds. So you don't need much more than that. Yet when you come into my space, that's where we talk really in depth about what's going on with you and really provide you some some real solutions. So when people are on statins and they're trying to lower their cholesterol numbers, is there a point where the cholesterol numbers can be too low? Well, I would definitely yes, and I've seen a lot of those people. Now, the published literature doesn't necessarily point to that fact that, you know, when you blast somebody with statins, uh, that it leads to a significant amount of downside risk. But, you know, once again, you can take studies all you want. And I think studies are a great thing and very useful. But sometimes all you got to do is talk to patients. And you talk to patients that have been on statin drugs and really caused some crippling complications and side effects. And some of them, frankly, have not recovered even years after being on statin drugs. So, And it's not even so much that I want to necessarily bash statin drugs. It's just I want to tell people there's a better way. Why, you know, we're not, you know, Mother Nature made us in a certain way. We're not deficient in pharmaceuticals, but we're deficient in the right foods. We're deficient in sunshine. We're deficient in sleep. We're deficient in the healthy lifestyle. And that's what I would like people to focus on as opposed to taking a statin that you're safe because you're not. Yeah, what's what uh, percentage does statins actually reduce your overall chance of having a heart type of issue? Well, I think that you know the the literature shows that the more sick you are, the more risk factors you have for disease such as obesity, diabetes, hypertension, smoking, previous heart attack or stent, the more risk factors you stack up, the more beneficial statins get. But if you take the average 65-year-old person or the average person in general that they feel good, they don't have diabetes, they're not obese, they don't have hypertension, they get very little, if any, benefit from statin drugs. Certainly, the statin drugs are not saving their, their life. So what I would postulate to the person that does have all those risk factors is that, hey, let's not 
statin drug, let's naturally improve the blood pressure. Let's naturally improve the lipid levels. Let's naturally improve your blood sugar. Let's do all the things that your body is missing and that's gonna give you your best results because even in, even in the sickest person, statin drugs, for example, can take that person's risk of having a heart attack, stroke, and dying from let's say 10% down to 7%. Okay, great, but what about the what about the seven percent that that we're failing? Uh, it doesn't have to be that way. There's a better answer, and that answer I think is provided in my book. Is there a time and place for statins at all? Like, if you have a patient that comes in that's in a really bad uh, state of health, would you put them on a statin while you're working on all the other factors as well? Uh, me personally, no. I don't believe there's ever any role for statin drugs. Okay, that's good to know. Uh, so we know that diet can play a huge part in inflammation, which can lead to different heart issues. Um, what role does stress have on the heart? Well, stress in general is linked to cardiovascular risk so much that I put that in a you know, chapter in my book called One Nation Under Prozac. And if you take, uh, you know, take a look at stress anger, anxiety, depression, any kind of mental health issue is going to increase your risk of cardiovascular events, heart attack, stroke, and dying. So the answer, of course, is not Prozac or any of those other pharmaceuticals of the similar ilk. Uh, it is trying to figure out why the person has stress, anger, anxiety, depression in their lives. And sometimes that can be nutritional. Sometimes that can be environmental. Sometimes it could be just a, you know, you know, just their their job or family or friends uh, or finances something that's wreaking havoc on their lives and once again the answer is not a pill the answer is trying to number one get rid of unnecessary stress in your life number two come up with strategies to improve on how we deal with stress and that things like yoga meditation tai chi it could be food related right i mean if you're under stress you're typically you're eating a lousy diet because when you're under stress, you're looking for ice cream. You're not looking for a broccoli salad. So we <laughs> want to try and direct people towards the right foods. And, uh, you know, and finally, there's evidence-based supplements that are very beneficial. The B vitamins, omega-3, magnesium, uh, a product we sell online called Relax. These are all things that can really help to uh, mitigate stress levels and I think lower cardiac risk. So working with patients in your practice, what are your top five foods or supplements that you like to uh, uh, put most people on? Uh, top five supplements, you know, we call our foundation five. So probiotics are number one. Number two is a multivitamin. Number three is a digestive enzyme. Number four is a daily greens drink. Um, and then uh, number five is an omega-3 fish oil. Uh, those are the foundational products. When it comes to blood pressure and circulation, I love our beetroot powder called Heartbeat. So it's all organic beets along with the beet greens, which nobody else has, and there's no fillers, sweeteners, or additives in there. Um, when it comes to circulation, another product is called Vessel Support, L-arginine, citrulline, taurine, one of those kind of combos as well. And then when it comes to cholesterol, I love using, uh, once again, I, <clears throat> I hate to name drop my own products on here, but I created these things because they work. Uh, it's a superfood chlorella uh, combination product. Uh, spirulina is proven to reduce total cholesterol by 47 points. So spirulina chlorella, I love using berberine, which I know you are studying 
uh, Chinese medicine and berberine uh, has just been studied by the Chinese for 75 years and the literature on berberine is like, I mean, if there's a Swiss army knife supplement, right, that does everything, it is berberine. I love organic India psyllium husk powder for my cholesterol people. I love garlic. Uh, big fan of resveratrol, curcumin. So, uh, and, and all this stuff is in the literature. My, my book is over 300 references. The literature is there, the references are there, but the average cardiologist is not reading it. It's interesting that you bring up probiotics for uh, heart issues and in cardiology. Can you make that connection for us? Yeah, yeah, real simply, you know, when I met my wife in 2005, she starts talking about this leaky gut. And I'm like, leaky gut, where'd you come up with that bogus diagnosis, leaky gut? Uh, you know, I went through 10 years of, of training after undergrad, I never heard of leaky gut. And she said, well, that's your problem, go read about it. So I go read about it. And there's really not much to read. There's not much in the literature. Well, over the last 10 years, the medical literature has exploded on the idea of leaky gut. And the ben and uh, and healing the leaky gut. So and now you can test for it. There's uh, testing companies that can test for leaky gut. So in short, when you have leaky gut, you have leaky heart. You also have leaky brain, and that is why I often say that cardiovascular disease is autoimmune because your body is attacking the heart. Well, it started because of the gut. So if you improve the gut health with probiotics and some other supplements and the healthy lifestyle and the healthy foods, your gut's going to repair and then your heart repairs. And that's a good thing. Do you have a preference over soil-based probiotics or fermented uh, probiotics or any other kind of probiotics? Well, I think there's there's a lot of different things. I mean, first of all, get probiotics from food whenever you can. So kimchi, sauerkraut, kombucha, kefir, uh, uh, fermented yogurts, you know, things like that, I think definitely, definitely, definitely have tremendous value uh, to them. And then after that, a good, pro, you know, a good quality probiotic. And there's a lot of different products that are out there, whether they're soil based, um, you know, whether they have, you know, there, there's some that, you know, that of course have a lot of literature and a lot of research on them. I think the key really is just to flood yourself with probiotics and also prebiotics that help to nourish and feed those uh, probiotics. So prebiotics, things like organic, organic India, psyllium husk powder, um, uh, artichoke, inulin, things like Jerusalem artichoke, all those things are, are fantastic as a prebiotic. So you want to get those into your diet as well. And, you know, just green leafy vegetables uh, are, are a tremendous prebiotic. And, uh, you know, just avoid the things that kill good gut bacteria, things like pesticides, chlorine, fluoride, hand sanitizers, really kind of any, any chemical toxin is going to damage your, your gut microbiome, uh, Listerine mouthwash, uh, toxic toothpaste like Crest. You know, the whole world is, is geared against us having a good, healthy gut microbiome. And that really plays once again into heart health as well, because one of the things that I use for, for blood pressure is my beetroot powder. But what acts the, activates the beetroot is the oral bacteria. And if you don't have good oral bacteria, you're done. Yeah, and beetroot also helps with detoxification too. So just getting all those toxins to flow out of the system helps as well. You know, Brian, let me tell you, I'll tell you a little story. You know, uh, years ago, when uh, when Heather and I first got together, you know, we had a Vitamix blender and she was making some uh, beet salad and she was taking the reds. But it was I was like, what are you going to do with the greens? She said, I don't know. So I threw the greens into a blender and I added some water, you know, into the Vitamix and I drank this uh, beet green combo. Well, let me tell you, for the next two days, I could not get off the toilet. 
<laughs> um, little graphic for your audience, but it taught me very quickly that these things are serious. These things are medicinal. And that was a tremendous liver gallbladder dump that I think in the end was very healthy. It wasn't fun going through it for 48 hours. But let me just say that uh, you're, you're absolutely positively correct. But it's not only the beet, red, the red beet root, but it's also the beet that you have to get into your diet and if you can do so great and then once again we've got this fantastic supplement called heartbeat that is the only one that i know of on the market that contains the beet greens certainly in their organic form right and the beet greens have a lot of potassium in it too which we know is very important for heart health as well oh certainly you know when you talk about potassium and magnesium uh, uh, I, I test people and i test people's intracellular levels of those uh, very important nutrients and people's levels are terrible. It doesn't surprise me. Most people don't get enough potassium in their diet. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's dive into a couple of quick fun questions here. Uh, if you have a morning routine uh, to take care of yourself and to prevent heart problems, what is it? Uh, well, you know, my morning routine really is, is to uh, first of all, I love getting outside in the sun. Uh, we haven't touched mu talked much about the sun here, but the sun, uh, may, uh, according to some, is, is the single most important thing you can do for your health, more important than food. So get out in the sun. So I love to get out in the sun. I love to do just some light stretching out there, maybe do some exercises. And then while I'm out there, I drink my, uh, my greens drink combo. So, you know, my daily greens, my superfood, my heartbeat. Uh, uh, mix those up and I drink them outside in the sun. I absolutely love that. I live down in Phoenix and it's sunny down here 450 days out of the year. So uh, especially this time of year, it's, it's nice and warm in the mornings. It's really, really special uh, to get out there and do that. And then if you could only take one botanical food or supplement for the rest of your life, what would it be? Uh, well, from a food standpoint, oysters. O oysters, uh, I think, are one of nature's most complete foods. Uh, uh, an oyster is absolutely, positively tremendous for all things health and wellness. Love that. Uh, and then as far as supplements concerned, you know, probiotics, as I mentioned, but, uh, you know, one, uh, the, 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 uh, the duo or the combo of curcumin and berberine, I think, is a real fountain of youth type product. But, you know, once again, I mean, there's so much evidence-based literature on, on so many of these nutrients that it's really hard to pick one. Uh, that's why I just had trouble picking one. <laughs> Do you ever uh, worry about heavy metals in the oysters? Never. Never. And then what is your favorite heart-healthy meal? Uh, favorite heart-healthy meal, once again, is uh, oysters. So I guess if I had... Yeah, one meal that I thought was critical that included oysters, it would be a, a big giant salad with a side of raw oysters. Uh, I think that would be perfect. My salad dressing would contain uh, olive oil, lemon, a little apple cider vinegar, tons of different spices, uh, some ground up black cumin seed, and then anchovies, throwing that into the blender, putting it on top of my salad, sprinkling nuts and seeds, having some oysters, maybe a little side of free-range grass-fed liver. I think you do that, man, you'll live till 175. Well, next time you're up in Washington, we have really good oysters here, so you'll have to try some out here. Uh, you know, it's funny, Brian, because when I did come up there to speak in the Seattle area, I was there for 36 hours, and I think I had probably uh, three dozen oysters, 
uh, clams and a Dungeness crab. So I understand the value of good quality <laughs> seafood, believe me. Okay, you have your book on your website, The Paleo Cardiologist, and you have been really gracious to provide us with a half-price code. Uh, if you go to uh, thedoctorswolfson.com, you can use the code SUMMIT, S-U-M-M-I-T, to get half off. Uh, where can people find you online? Yes, yeah, so you want to come over to our website, thedoctorswolfson.com, uh, T-H-E-D-R-S, wolfson.com, and button and you can get into our shop page and go ahead and get a copy of the book mention the word you know you'll type in the word summit and that'll reduce the price down of the book you know to much lower than amazon um amazon doesn't need your money you know support the little guys that are helping to get that information out there and i'd be happy to send you a book and of course we're on social media facebook instagram uh twitter as the doctors wolfson and we've got tremendous health information not only from a heart uh, cardiovascular and brain and what I call internal medicine type stuff, uh, but also for the healthy home and family, which is really the uh, the, the auspice of my wife, uh, you know, Dr. Heather. So yeah, come on over and say hello. And uh, yeah, I welcome anyone's feedback. Awesome, Dr. Jack. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm excited that there's cardiologists out there that are looking for root causes instead of just throwing pills at stuff. So thanks for doing all that you do. Anytime. Thank you so much for having me on, Brian. And there you have it. It is great to see some cardiologists out there that are focusing on trying to find the root cause instead of just trying to push pills. So thank you, Dr. Jack Wolfson, for coming on to talk more about different ways to approach heart disease and how to approach it by looking at the root causes instead of just the symptoms. It was also very generous of him to give us half off for his book, The Paleocardiologist, from his website. And all those will be in the show notes at summitforwellness.com slash 46, because this is episode 46. Okay, I know I ask this every single week, but if you have not gone onto iTunes and left us a rating and review, those ratings and reviews do matter, so please just spend a couple moments to do that at summitforwellness.com slash iTunes. Next week, we are going to be having a conversation about a controversial topic for m many parts of the states here, and that is CBD oil and hemp oil. I brought on an expert to talk all about the politics behind it and the benefits of CBD oil, so be on the lookout for that episode. Keep climbing to the peak of your health, and we will see you next week.